Hello and welcome to The Personal Investor. I'm Ed Monk. Today on the show, what is the economic picture facing Prime Minister Rishi Sunak as he becomes the third incumbent in number 10 this year? How have markets reacted and how will the UK fare if or is it when recession arrives? That's the focus today. If you enjoy the show, please rate us, share us or leave a comment wherever you get your podcasts. Rishi Sunak is the Prime Minister following a mercifully brief leadership contest within the Conservative Party. His arrival is being seen as a victory for grown-up politics and the return of economic common sense, but that doesn't mean the picture facing him is particularly rosy. Many of the tough choices facing his predecessors remain. So what are they and how can we expect the next few months to play out for UK PLC under his leadership? To help answer that, I'm joined by Tom Stevenson, Investment Director here at Fidelity. Tom, welcome along. Uh, Another week, another Prime Minister. What's job number one for Rishi Sunak as he arrives in number 10? I think job number one for the new Prime Minister is stability. And job number two is probably credibility. Um, But uh, without stability uh, in the party, uh, in Westminster, and ultimately in the financial markets, most importantly, uh, then uh, the credibility will will never come. So uh, you were right to um, characterise this, I think, as the return of of grown-up politics. I think that return to grown-up politics has already started. I think the appointment of Jeremy Hunt, uh, it seems like, months ago but it was it was a week ago i mean such is the way things are uh, are changing at such phenomenal uh, speed uh you know three prime ministers in in less than two months uh, four chancellors i think it is i mean it's it is yeah. it's been an extraordinary uh, time but the first thing that the two of them have to do assuming that jeremy hunt remains as the chancellor and we don't even know that yes. um but you know i i think there's a good chance that that, that he will um uh not least because he has got to make his uh fiscal statement in less than a week's time and uh, it's hard enough for him to do that but for someone to come in new and do it I think would be difficult and I think for them to delay that financial statement would be counter to the primary objective which as I say is stability in the markets. Yeah stability in grown-up politics from ironically paradoxically the youngest ever prime minister. <laughs> yes, that's um, a good point. And, Since uh, 1812. Indeed. Yes. Indeed. So, and, and as you say, you talk about the, the, the financial markets are going to be watching this closely and it kind of hems in a lot of what the government can do. They've become a bit of a barometer. Certainly the bond market has, the gilt market has become a barometer for, for that political stability in recent weeks. What have the markets been telling us about, about his appointment to the job? Well, the market reaction uh, was pretty swift and pretty positive. Um, And indeed, if you go back before his appointment uh, to the Friday, uh, last Friday, um, just a few days before um, uh, he was appointed, there was a wobble in the markets when people were concerned that uh, maybe uh, Boris Johnson was going to come back and what that would what that would mean. So uh, the the markets have really been an absolutely have been a barometer for uh, the mood and the and the attitude of investors to the likelihood of that stability being 
being restored. Now, when he was a name, when when he he was uh, uh, announced as the as the sole um, contender and and therefore by definition the next prime minister, uh, the markets really rallied quite quite strongly. The pound. Uh, was up to about uh, I think close to a dollar fifteen at one point, um, and gilt yields have fallen back very sharply. I mean, I was looking at the gilt yields this morning actually because it, that's been a remarkable round trip just in the last three weeks. Um, uh, gilt yields have risen from well under four percent to about five percent, and then all the way back down to about three and three quarter. Uh, percent again now those numbers might not sound very much but that's a phenomenal move in a relatively staid market and it represents in in capital terms an enormous uh, swing so I calculated that um, the 30-year government bond the 30-year gilt had fallen in just a week and a half by 20 percent yeah I mean that's you know that's not just stock market volatility that's cryptocurrency volatility yeah. <laughs> i mean that's remarkable for the bond market and then in the most recent uh, week and a half it's regained all of that so it fell by 20 percent and it rose by 25 percent i've never seen anything like it in the bond market yeah indeed well we might come back to the bond market and um and and what you've had to say about that in the last week or so mm. tom but um, um l- listen we're not here to talk about politics we're here to talk about the markets and 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 the economy but on that political question it's been really interesting hasn't it to watch politics interact with markets over the past few weeks notwithstanding the very serious consequences that has in the real world it's been interesting for the likes of you and i and when we had um the possibility of other people maybe boris johnson someone else becoming the leader of the conservative party is my extension the country as prime minister you saw the markets have this bad reaction that's probably because you know, Boris Johnson could have won in the process that was laid down, but he probably wouldn't have been able to assemble very easily a cabinet, certainly not, um, or, or certainly not a, a, a government which had support in Parliament. Votes on getting things through would have suddenly seemed very, very, very uncertain. And that's why, from a point of view of economic and financial stability, it really was important that a new prime minister coming in did have the support not of the Tory party memberships because they're not the audience that matters it's MPs that matter because they're going to vote on legislation and they're going to get the government's agenda through so Mm. the prime minister needs to have support in parliament yes and that's why the process was actually very cleverly and carefully constructed uh, to ensure that uh, that the members of parliament if not actually deciding who the next um, uh, prime minister would be, at least would have a very big influence. Yeah. So had there been two contenders, for example, there would have been a, a kind of indicative advisory vote of the members of parliament before it went to the members. Now, yeah. it never got to this stage, but that was quite clever because what that would have indicated to the uh, to the membership is the likely support that... Um, the the future prime minister would have. And as you say, that's the important thing at the moment, because without that support, they can't push through any uh, agenda, which, of course, is what we saw with the previous prime minister and and uh, and her chancellor. But of course, you know, it's not job done. I mean, Rishi Sunak is leading a 
severely uh, fragmented party and it's going to be a major challenge for him to pull everyone together indeed indeed and um you've mentioned it already but we do have a spending review is that what it's called next week a spending review i think yes fiscal, it's a fiscal statement. statement fiscal statement yes. um but that is going to lay out spending on yeah. from the government's point of view it's going to be another big moment uh, and markets will be watching. So what do they want to hear when the Chancellor, whoever it is, speaks next next week? Yeah. Well, essentially, uh, what the markets want to see is uh, stability and a plugging of the gap which still remains in the public finances. So essentially, even after Jeremy Hunt reversed most of the measures which were put in place uh, by his predecessor uh, as Chancellor of the Exchequer, there still remains a you know thirty or forty billion pound hole in the in the finance in the public finances. That has to be filled in one of two ways: either through spending cuts or through tax rises, which is always the challenge mm. uh, facing a government. Now, if you go if you roll back to uh, the period immediately after the financial crisis, the the, the sort of so-called austerity period um, at the beginning of this um, conservative government, um, the, the weighting of that split uh, was very much towards spending cuts um, and not towards uh, tax rises. I think this time, what we're likely to see, and I think what the markets would expect to see, is more of an emphasis on tax rises for the simple reason that after years of austerity, frankly, you know, most of the fat has been cut and many public services have been cut to the bone. Mm. And I think this, this is why it's this is why it's politically such a difficult task for the new prime minister and and the new the new chancellor, because uh, they have got to they've got to get people to understand both in the Conservative Party, but in the country generally, that they face some very difficult decisions. Jeremy Hunt described them as eye-wateringly difficult decisions, and and they are. There are no easy answers to this. No, and and if, if we think back over the, the the last few weeks and what markets have done, uh, we, we we've spoken about gilt yields. We've spoken about the value of the pounds, where the the sort of where the kind of financial markets meets the real world. That happened in mortgage rates it felt to me that was when people stood up and took notice because their own bills were going to rise very quickly very soon um it's probably the thing that killed off liz's trust liz trust's time actually as as prime minister um the the new administration they're not going to want to do anything that makes rate rises in general more likely are they and that means as you say a, f- a fiscal tightening overall to match the monetary tightening that we've got going on at the Bank of England. So they just need to be on the right side of that line, don't they? And that does mean maybe spending cuts, maybe tax rises, but that's the that's the sort of general picture they want to project. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the problem that we have faced in 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 recent weeks, and that uh, 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 and what's caused caused the volatility in the markets, is that markets have perceived that the government and the Bank of England are pulling in different directions, and so there hasn't been a sort of coordinated um, uh, approach to monetary and fiscal policy. The Bank of England has a job to do. The Bank of England has to get on top of inflation. And in order to do that, it has to impose higher interest rates, tighter um, monetary policy. Now, 
it needs support in that from the government. If the government is spraying money uh, at the economy and it's effectively stimulating the economy and boosting activity, then it has to work even harder to get on top of inflation. And that means raising interest rates further. And that means higher mortgage rates. And that's what's that was clearly unacceptable to to the, the, the country at large. For the, for the very obvious reason that many people are already struggling with sky-high heating bills. They're already struggling with rising food costs. They really can't afford to uh, handle much higher um, mortgage rates as well. And so you're absolutely right to identify that as being the sort of the key fault line uh, in the last in the last few weeks, and and the government must ensure that they take the pressure off the Bank of England so they don't have to squeeze too hard on the monetary side. Yeah, and, and eye watering is a word because you know we can talk about you know fiscal policy, uh, y- you know adding to inflationary pressures, but at the same, what that also might mean is giving people rises in their benefits that match inflation. You know that's it's sure in very stark economic terms that's inflationary but it's also allowing people to make ends meet so it's that's why these decisions are quite as difficult as they are um now tom you've you've laid out a situation there where we might by next week have monetary policy tightening fiscal policy tightening as well they are the conditions for certainly slower growth maybe recession a lot of the indicators now that we're seeing especially the indicators that run ahead of gdp are indicating that we're in a kind of recession effectively already i wanted to in this conversation game out what that's likely to look and feel like in the next few months what does uh what effect does a recession have in the real world in terms of the economy well, I mean, a recession uh, slows down activity. Uh, it's a reflection of the fact that people have less uh, money to spend. Um, uh, people have less discretionary uh, income, so they're less likely to go out into the shops and into the restaurants, buy holidays and all of those kinds of things. That has a knock-on effect on the companies that provide those services. Uh, that has a knock-on effect on the employment market, which, of course, then has a knock-on effect on the ability of people to buy those things. So, you know, just as the, the economy can, can find itself in a virtuous circle spiralling upwards, it can find itself in a vicious cycle uh, spiralling downwards. And so I think, you know, if, as we move into a recessionary environment, it means that things things will be tough. Um, and uh, as investors... Uh, this is where it becomes interesting because um, the markets are fantastically good at anticipating what's coming uh, down the track. And, you know, markets have, have, have really uh, seen the bad news coming. They've seen the recession. They've seen the inflation. They've seen the interest rates. Uh, and they have already responded. Um, what we will probably find, and, and, I, and I, you know, I feel quite strongly about this that I and, I and I feel a bit of a lone voice in this is that people have really focused heavily on the recession and on the bad news to come um, and then they haven't quite sort of understood that that markets and the economy work on a different cycle and I think that the the, the markets have already anticipated this news so I would I would expect that we will see an improvement in investment conditions a long time before we see an improvement in the in the uh, economic conditions. So I think that that makes it a very interesting time for investors. Yeah, and 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 well, you, a couple of things there. You, you mentioned the the jobs market. I think that's going to be interesting because uh, pe- inflation means that people want big 
pay rises in cash terms to help deal with that. The, the, the difference that might happen or the change that might happen is in a, in a recession, people do have a different mentality. They're more worried about their jobs, rightly or wrongly, you know, or whether they need to be or not. They are more worried about jobs. They're probably going to be more accepting of lower pay, uh, pay rises. Uh, that means, as you say, uh, uh, having less money in real terms to spend. It might also mean in sectors that are unionised, the public sector, that we have big disputes. You know, you can see all sorts of clashes coming. We're already seeing them in terms of the railways and other uh, big industries as well. That could be a feature of, of, of the winter. And, 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 and your second point there about markets and them looking forward and beyond this um, leads me on really to the final point today, which was what is the Bank of England going to have to see before it can begin to loosen policy again. I mean, we're miles away from that, but, um, you know, there will come a time when the bank wants to actually stimulate growth because we're in a recession. So what are, what are the conditions for that? Well, what the Bank of England uh, uh, aims to do is to bring inflation back to its target rate of 2%. Um, and in order to do that, it needs to... Uh, it needs to take its foot off the brakes before we get there. So it doesn't need to see inflation at 2% before it starts to reduce interest rate. What it needs to see is, is a clear trajectory uh, for inflation back towards uh, the target rate. And once it sees inflation falling, then it can uh, take its foot off the brake, uh, if you like, and start gently to uh, apply a bit of, of throttle uh, to to the economy. So it's a very delicate balancing act that the Bank of England has to do because it too has to anticipate, just like the stock market, the Bank of England has to anticipate what's coming uh, in, uh, in the real economy as well. So I think once we start to see uh, inflation beginning to roll over, um, you know, no longer rising, um, beginning to fall, then I think we'll start to see easier monetary conditions. And hopefully then we can glide down towards that um, towards that target of 2% inflation again. OK, OK. Well, we shall see, Tom. It's going to be an interesting few months. Uh, that is all the time we have for now. Thanks for joining me. Thanks, Ed. Please note that the value of investments and the income from them can go down as well as up, so you may get back less than you invest. Investors should note that the views expressed may no longer be current and may have already been acted upon. This information is not a personal recommendation for any particular investment. If you are unsure about the suitability of an investment, you should speak to one of Fidelity's advisors or an authorised financial advisor of your choice. Overseas investments will be affected by movements in currency exchange rates and investments in emerging markets can be more volatile than other more developed markets. Reference to the specific securities should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell these securities and is included for the purposes of illustration only. Tax treatment depends on individual circumstances and all tax rules may change in the future. Withdrawals from a pension product may not be possible until you reach age 55, 57 from 2028. This podcast may not be reproduced or circulated without prior permission. No statements or representations made in this podcast are legally binding on Fidelity or the recipient. This podcast is meant only for UK residents and does not constitute an offer or a solicitation in any jurisdiction in which it may be unlawful to make such an offer or solicitation.